Hey, everybody, it's Tommy Canelli, and welcome to Before the Lights Podcast, the show to find out how those in sports, music, and entertainment made their mark. Today, we have an award-winning composer who has 15 CDs and five DVDs to his credit, a conductor, trumpeteer, the creator and director of Pop Evolution and Pop Strings Orchestra, which is an award-winning 14-piece ensemble. He has performed internationally with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra, has been featured with headliners such as Natalie Cole, Gladys Knight, Cirque du Soleil, Frankie Valli, and the 2000 U.S. Presidential Inaugural Ball. They are the Las Vegas Raiders house band and performs at the beautiful Smith Center in Las Vegas. Please welcome to the show, David Perico. David, welcome to Before the Lights. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Tommy. I'm excited to have you, a Youngstown, Ohio native. Who yeah. molded you to who you are today? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think it's a little bit of everything. You know, I had a great family. Uh, you know, my dad's side's Italian. My mom's side's Croatian. You know, grow up in a steel mill town, you know, where Boom Boom Mancini's from. You got a lot of uh, great athletes that come out of uh, Youngstown and, uh, I think coming from that, that, that blue collar steel mill town definitely had something to do with it. Where does your love of music thing come from? Oh, geez. Um, you know, ever since I was young, my grandfather, uh, on the, my mom's side, he played in a Croatian band guitar. And then my dad, uh, played saxophone. And then there was always music in the house. I mean, there was like, my grandma would always send me tape when I was 10, 11 years old, when I first started playing nine I should say always tapes of uh, Frank Sinatra, the big bands. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad always had a really big eclectic, uh, you know, vinyls. Remember vinyls? Oh right? yeah. I still collect them <laughs> to this day. <laughs> you know, whether it was ELO or David Sanborn or Dizzy Gillespie or jazz blues, R and B, the stones, whatever. I, so I was just always surrounded by music. How did you get started or what attracted you to the trumpet? Uh, you know, actually I, I went, when I was nine years old, my dad had a clarinet cause I wanted to play saxophone, went to school, had my own clarinet and the band director said, uh, we don't have any trumpet players in the band. Why don't you try this? <laughs> That's basically how it started. And I said, well, I got my own clarinet, you know, he says, why don't you try it? So, you know, the rest is mystery. <laughs> how many trumpets do you own these days now? Oh, I try, I just a handful uh, I have an endorsement with a company out of Chicago called Fate and Trumpets. I play their horn and uh, just a couple other, just a couple horns. I used to have a lot, but now I just have one, one, one or two. You know. What other instruments then can you play? Actually, I played piano and drums. And did you start well. learning all those young at the same time that when you were into clarinet and trumpet? Yes. What was your first ever performance then with the trumpet? And what do you recall about that first time you were on stage? I think it was when I was in, uh, oh boy, sixth grade, fifth grade. I played a, a song called The Birth of the Blues, and it was a trumpet solo. With Sammy with Davis? With, yeah, with, the, with the, uh, the elementary band. That was probably it. Yeah. Who are some of your mentors, David, growing up? You know, um, people that I had relation, personal relationships with, you know, definitely my family, you know, but 
my teachers, all of my teachers, you know, um, I played in a military band with great, great conductors in that, you know, when I was growing up and in my trumpet teacher, Soto Pellegrini, who was in the Youngstown Symphony for 47 years. Uh, and then I, as, as I went into to formal education, you know, for my bachelor's degree and master's degree, I would say Tony Leonardi, who ran the jazz program um, at Youngstown State University. And then there's a whole other slew. You just mentioned Youngstown State University, and then you went to UNLV for jazz studies and composition. How did you get from Youngstown State to UNLV? Uh, actually, I, you know, <clears throat> I never intended to move out here. It's really weird mm. because I was on the road traveling with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra from 94 to 9-11, uh, 2001. And, uh, 48 weeks a year on the road. I worked on cruise ships as well. When 9-11 happened, very similar to the pandemic, everything really closed down as far as traveling. Right. And, and the gigs, everything just got wiped out. So it, I decided to uh, go back home to Youngstown. Actually, um, just got a little apartment. And I finished up because I hadn't finished my bachelor's degree yet. So I went back. I finished my bachelor's degree. And then I was going to still move to, I was going to move to New York, but it was still slow there. It was still, you know, kind of a mess. So my brother had moved out here and he says, why don't you move out to Vegas? And I said, I don't know. I really don't know anybody. So I sent kind of a nonchalant email to the director of jazz studies, David Loeb at UNLV and said, Hey, I was on a Tommy Dorsey band. I'm just kind of looking for some work. And he offered me a teaching position as a graduate assistant so they they paid for my school they gave me a scholarship they gave me a stipend and i did my master's degree so i've been here ever since and that was 2004 you mentioned that you traveled with the tommy dorsey orchestra you were a soloist and a road manager with them what did you learn from traveling with that orchestra around the world oh man there's a lot there's a lot that comes out of traveling I think traveling is the best thing that can happen for anybody. Mm. But I mean, you know, when you're doing those 48 weeks a year, one nighters, you know, you could be in Florida, Orlando, then the next gig is in, you know, uh, New Hampshire. So you ride 800, 900 miles, play the gig, you maybe check into a hotel twice a week. You know, you get some rooms, you clean up, you go do the next gig. And this is what I think, you know, um, there's a lot to take from playing on the road when you're playing every day, you know, like at a, at a high level with the, with those guys, you know, in that band, it really makes you a better player. You're surrounded with that camaraderie, you know, 17 guys on a bus, you know, you learn how to, uh, do, do a lot of things, you know, just, it's basically survival. <laughs> <laughs> survival of the it's, fittest. It's basically, that's a survival mode, you know, and this is no cell phone. Mm. No cell phones, no internet, you know, you're basically out. You're just out. You're gone. People these days couldn't handle that with no internet, no phone on a bus for 800 miles. They'd go crazy. Yeah. I couldn't wait. Like every day I couldn't wait to get the USA today. You know, that was my thing. Get the USA today. You see what's going on. And uh, I think one of the other things too is, you know, as a musician, I spent a lot of time listening to a lot of music a lot of just 
you know, guys would always say, Hey, you got to check out this. You got to check out this. And we had cassette players, you know? Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and then CDs came out, you know, and we would like split and listen to, you know, whether it was jazz or blue rock, you know, Steely Dan, big band, whatever. We would just, I think that was the one big takeaway. It's just being around those great musicians and constantly listening to music. You mentioned you relocated to Vegas in 2004. Your first gig was at Arizona Charlie's Decatur at the Naughty Lady Saloon. <laughs> Where did you find that? <laughs> Man, I do some research on my guests. So what, what, does, what kind of memories does that bring up? Oh, man, that's a great band leader in town. His name is Lon Bronson, and he's had his band, the Lon Bronson All-Stars, for, I think, 30 years now. And they were, I don't know if you know anything about Lon, but he started uh, his band at the Riviera, Mm. and it was a 1 o'clock, 1 a.m. in the morning hit. They would play from 1 to 4 in the morning. And it was like a celebrity thing. It was still Vegas, was old Vegas, like 1989, 90, you know. But that was, I got the call from Lon Bronson to come in and play the gig. And uh, I'll never forget. I walked in and uh, he's like, nice to meet you, man. Welcome to the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) And that was it. But me and Lon, he's like, he's like my consigliere, man. He's, he's been around a long time. He's done a lot of stuff in Vegas. And whenever I need advice for stuff or bounce things off of, he's always there for me. He's, he's, he's a great guy. So that, that was my first experience in Vegas. And, you know, it was Arizona Charlie's, you know, it'd be a little dicey over there. And so I walked in, I'm like, this is Vegas. This is Vegas, huh? <laughs> Back in the day when I lived here before, Arizona Charlie's, I used to hang there with some buddies of mine at the lounge there. So, I mean, it was brand new at the time. It was not, in oh. the, it wasn't, you know, what it is today, but it was, it was a nice place. David, you've toured the country for years with different bands. Mm-hmm. When did you decide I'm going to do this on my own? Uh, you know what? I, I've always growing up when I, even through college, um, as a, I'm a composer. So as a composer, you write your own music and you want to perform it. So the only way to do that is to put your own band together. You can't go into someone's band and say, here, play my music. Sure. So that it kind of happened out of necessity. I never really wanted to be a leader in the sense of like, I want to be, you know, the front guy and the leader and all that stuff. It was just kind of out of necessity to perform stuff I was writing. Um, and that, that happened at an early age, I think around 16, 17. But then when I was out here doing sideman work and on the road sideman, I, I really wanted, I really wanted to do my music and, and still keep the big band going. So putting pop evolution together, which is the 19 piece big band. It's just a, an old style, big band format playing, uh, you know, contemporary stuff, whether it's Motley Crue or Van Halen. So that was a different spin. That that's what made me wanted to do it. I think in this town, you know, you have to have some kind of uniqueness or individuality to separate yourself. You know, mm-hmm. that's appealing. The, what the, this town makes you do that. Yes, it does for sure. In 2005 to 2011, you were the music director and lead trumpet with Paul Schaefer from the David Letterman show at Caesar's Palace. What was that experience like working with Paul? Paul was great, man. You know, uh, Damien Costa over at Caesar's Palace called me. My band was playing at Caesar's. Uh, we were in the lounge at Cleopatra's Barge for already a couple years. And he says, hey, I want to bring in Paul Schaefer. Expect the call. 
I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay, sure enough. I get the call from Paul Schaefer. He's like, Dave, uh, I've been checking you out and, and everything looks great. I'm going to come by and see the band. He goes, would you be my music director? I'm going to put together a show. And I thought, well, like Paul Schaefer's like the universal yeah. music director, you know? <laughs> so I was really taken aback by that. And I ended up writing all his uh, charts, all his arrangements for his show, put together the band. And uh, we did a couple of stints at the barge and, you know, he was great. He was great. I mean, I think the one thing with Paul, not number one, he's an incredible musician, you know, incredible, you know, organ and, and piano, but the stories that he had, you know, 30 years with David Letterman. Oh, I bet. I mean, the, the, they like, yeah, one night we were playing with James Brown and oh yeah, one night share. And then one night, you know, this guy, I mean, it was just like, you know, and then the blues brothers kind of stuff that, you know, it, it was great to work with him. It really was. You're also involved with the Grammy Award winning LP One Voice by Gladys Knight. Mm -hmm. How did that project come together for you? Uh, basically, um, Benjamin Wright was, was was her music director. And ben, side note, Benjamin Wright wrote the uh, is the James Ingram hit of Find 100 Ways. Mm. He asked me to put together a big band for Gladys prior to this recording. This was at the Orleans. And that was kind of the impetus of me putting together Pop Evolution, because I can see you can do pop music with the big band. That really inspired me. And so we did that. It went over well. And then uh, David Loeb, I think, got the call. And then Benjamin called me. Uh, they had a brass choir. It was like five or six horns with 30 strings and a gospel choir as well. So I was just a side man. I just went in and played on it. And I guess the album did really well. It did really well. Yeah. I'm guessing that you like the word pop. You have pop strings, orchestra, pop evolution, the pop 40 band, the pop retro quartet. Is there something with that word that resonates with you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, pop culture, pop, you know, pulp fiction, pop, pop, you know, when people say pop 40 or top 40, I, I, I just, I took it from top 40. Mm. I just thought it had a ring to it. But when I put together pop evolution i figured well this is the big band it's it's pop music and it's evolving somehow into a pop scenario with big bands so it kind of just married so then i just created the brand of all my bands are pop all right pop retro pop flamenco pop so it's the brand 2015 pop strings orchestra a dynamic 14 piece orchestra with outstanding vocalist Features an all-female, seven-piece acoustic string section. You guys play genres such as pop, club, rock, Latin, jazz, classical, R&B, plus original music, and have a weekend residency at Cleopatra's Barge at Caesar's Palace. How long did it take you to develop Pop Strings Orchestra, and where did the idea come from? It, it happened kind of by accident. Um, that's a great question. At the time, let's see, 2000, oh, seven years ago, whatever, seven years ago, eight years ago, maybe it's about seven years ago, I wanted to put together kind of a fun project to feature some of my original compositions again. So I said, but I want to add strings. So it was kind of like, let's do some Miles Davis, Chick Corea, you know, some fun jazz stuff and some originals. So I had eight strings. 
and then the rhythm section, piano, bass, guitar, drums, and sax. And we did one gig over at the Tuscany. It was called the T-Spot at the time. Now it's where the Rat Pack plays. It's the Copa Room. Mm -hmm. And the entertainment director at Red Rock, Judy Alberti at the time, saw a video or saw something, and she texted me, and she says, hey, what what are you doing over there? And I said, (laughs) oh, it's just a fun thing. You know, she goes, well, look, I have the lounge opening up at Rock's Lounge. Why don't you, why don't you, bring that over here and i said oh whoa whoa wait a minute wait i found music i didn't even know you know i didn't even know who bruno mars was i mean i didn't, <laughs> I didn't you know i was totally out of that element so she goes no no why don't you why don't you put something together and i said no nah, i don't think i'm really cut out for it and i let it go and then she called me like a week later she says come on i want you to do this so i ended up i had to write music you know so i I had to write all the, the, the arrangements because you just can't go to amazon.com and buy the, for this custom orchestra. So I wrote like 11 charts. We played it and we had to go back to the top because I didn't have any more music. So we like <laughs> repeated this. <laughs> I took a break and we went back to the top. Nobody you probably know? even knew. <laughs> that, that, I was like, that's all we got. And then, so it went over really well at, at, at Red Rock. It, and that that's how pop strings was born i, I mean I, I was gonna i didn't even have the name yet it was gonna be like chamber ensemble or something i don't know but just, I just pop strings pop strings love it i listened to your guys's rendition of the godfather theme it is outstanding i mean if you didn't know it wasn't the original you'd be hard pressed it is fantastic oh. what was the love for that is it, are you a fan of the show or what of the song or how did that come about yeah, I mean, the whole, the, the Godfather series, except three, you know, one and two, you know, three is like the Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great analogy. I love that. I'm going to, I'm that's taking like, that. I'm definitely taking you know, that. It's like the Olive Garden, <laughs> or, you know, but no, I mean, you know, growing up in a, in a heavy uh, ethnic Italian background, Croatian background, that family or, you know, the, uh, who, the Godfather was just always great. I always loved the Godfather, but moreover, I always loved the music and I always loved, you know, throughout that movie, you hear these Sicilian marches and you hear these, all these different songs besides the iconic theme. There's always little, you know, beautiful melodies and things going on that um, Nino Rota uh, was the composer. So as a composer, I was drawn to that film score and and then of course the movie you know there's so many quotes so we live by those quotes yes. you know we live we live by all those quotes <laughs> <laughs> so you know that's you know and of course a big fan of Marlon Brando De Niro the whole cast yeah mm-hmm. it's an icon it's one of the best movies ever made in my opinion easily easily pop evolution you've spoken about it a couple times a 19 piece ensemble that performs your arrangements of pop genres in Vegas at the Strat South Point Casino Smith Center which one was first? Was it Evolution or Strings? Evolution. When you got Evolution going then, because this was the original idea to play some of your own arrangements and some of your music. Right. And then you have the spinoff for Pop Strings Orchestra. Then did Pop 40s band the 7 and 80s to current music. Is that another spinoff of Evolution? Yeah, they all came out of necessity because Pop Evolution was more of a show band. Okay. And it's more of a concert show band, you know, and it's all guys, just a handful of girls, you know, just two or three girls. And it's all guys. I really wanted to to elevate 
and promote the girl power. Number one, the all female string section. And also there are, everyone's younger, you know, everyone's much younger than what was in pop evolution. So it, it brought a better vibe to the lounge scene. So that, and the energy, the energy of that. So that came out of that. And then sometimes people like will call me for bookings for pop strings, but they didn't have the budget for the 14 piece. So I basically pop 40 is pop strings without the two horns and string section. Smart. Five, six piece. And then pop retro is the four piece. And then pop soul is the three piece. This is all one big umbrella. And you just taken the big ensemble of 19 piece and broke it into a 14, into a seven, into a four to get more, more acts out on the road. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, um, you know, this is what I do. So I, I playing the trumpet is one aspect, but it's really hard today, today to make a living just doing one thing as a musician. So I just said, I'm going all in. I'm going to create this company, DPG Enterprises, and I'm going to produce these bands. And I have 76 people that are on, that work with me, 76 musicians. And so each band has its own identity and personality of musicians. It's not the same musicians from this band or that band. They're all different, different cuts. So yeah, that's, it's, it's just offering, offering different things. So it's like almost a one-stop shop on a given weekend. Then how many of your acts are performing around Vegas? It before the, before the, I the pandemic before you call that, you know, I had four, you know, three, four steady bands always retro 40 pop strings. Um, and sometimes I would have two pop forties playing one pop 40 at an MGM property and one pop 40 at a Caesars property. Is that slowly was, coming back really to where tough. it was? You know, um, it's dicey. I've just picked up a lot. We're doing a lot more, believe it or not, um, weddings. I'm not, a, I never, but again, um, it seems to be where the, the money, people have money now, you know, from loans or SBA or PPP, there's money, grants, I don't know. So it seems like the corporate work has really picked up but the lounge work has died. That makes sense. The barge is still closed. Yes. Um, Paris is still closed. Bally's lounge is still closed. The Cromwell lounge is still closed. So I had, those were the, all the lounges that my bands were working steady, very steady. It's sad. You know, it's like, I don't know what's happening, but things, you know, don't iron out. Vegas will pick itself up and, you know, hopefully, I just keep saying, hopefully, but, uh, the lounges will get back. How did you land being the house band for the NFL Las Vegas Raiders? Oh, I was recommended. Uh, there was a couple recommendations. My name was in the hat. Um, the vice president of entertainment and the, the show producer, the game producer were searching auditioning bands and our name was in the hat. So we went in, long story short, we went in, we played. It didn't go so well. The sound was really, hadn't been dialed in the stadium yet. Because mm. it was, you know, it was still sitting from pandemic. We went in there. Things were kind of still good. So it didn't sound good. But luckily we recorded it. 
And I sent it to them and I said, this is what we were sending to you. And they couldn't believe how great it sounded. So we figured out that this, the sound system needed to be tuned up. You know, the, that's a big arena style. We went back in, we, uh, we played again. And then they asked me to do a lot of writing because it's TV. So you have to be able to play very, uh, uh, a myriad of cues. So a 20 second cue, a 30 second, 35, 40, 45 second, all the way up to two minutes. Uh, so you, as you know, with, with, the TV and, and, and broadcasting that was part of the audition. So, and then they asked me to write 15 arrangements for the band. We went and recorded them in the studio, produced them all these different versions to show that I could do that. And that's, and then we went back and played one more time. And that was, that was the audition process. It wasn't just like, Hey, come up and play. Sure. It, it wasn't that. <laughs> what has it done for you personally? And then also professionally. Oh man, it, it, first, first and foremost, this really comes from the top, from, comes from Mark Davis. Mark Davis, the, I, I found out, and I kind of knew in the 80s, there was always a band playing at the Coliseum in LA. But in the late 60s, there was a, they had a band at Oakland, in Oakland called the Del Courtney Big Band. So he wanted to keep that tradition going and he wanted a local band. So it comes back, it all comes from Mark, and then it comes from Brad and Justin. I won't give their last names, but I just, you know, it comes from the VP and, and the production, uh, uh, the production, uh, produ the producer. It's just great to work with them. And it, it's changed me to your question, like, wow, after being done down for a year and a half, we come out playing at the Raiders games and we're the official Raiders house band. And I think, it really, I'm happy for, for live entertainment because where else can you see a 19, and I expanded it, it's 19-piece. Where can you see a 19-piece band at Vegas? And, and I mean, in a football game. Right. Said only in Vegas. Yeah. Right? Only in Vegas. <laughs> so, only in Vegas, baby. And I'm happy for entertainment because it promotes live, live entertainment, a live band. So people are seeing the validity. So... This is good for other bands and other musicians, hardworking musicians in this town because, hey, there's a live band playing. So hopefully it creates work for other live bands, other other bands, you know, and uh, it's just been fantastic. They, It's been the best experience. It really has. We played with Sammy Hagar. He played with us. Dion Warwick, Lone Star. Uh, it's, it's been really cool. How much fun was it performing with Sammy? I'll tell you what, man, he's the best. I grew up with David Lee Roth. And then when Sammy took into went into the band, there was a big, I remember guys getting in fist fights over that, <laughs> you know, growing up, it was a 1984 for somewhere in that area or whatever it was. But yeah, as Sammy was great. Um, we did two songs. We had an eight minute time slot for halftime, but both of the songs he sent me were over. They were like 10 minutes. So I had to figure out how to shave them down. And so we're texting back and forth and I'm sending him recordings from my studio of what I did. And he was just like very oh, enthusiastic, man. And very um, supportive. He's like, man, I, I, I love it. Wow. That's awesome. I can't wait. And he came out and lit it up, just lit it up, man. It was great. Really fun. Do you have to come up with different set lists then for each home game? Yes. You do. Yeah. Uh, the producer, Justin, 
will send me like yesterday. He sent me a, 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 a I, I can pull it up right now. Just an example, like pregame. He'll pick out what we're going to do. So he'll say, I need a 30 second Imperial March Death Star. I need the Sunday night football theme. Uh, we need a feature. We're going to do Phil Collins in the air tonight. Then we're going to do a two minute Dua Lipa, a 20 second Cashmere back in black, Autumn Wind, Game of Thrones. You know, that's kind of what's happening. You know, shook me all night. We'll play with the Raiderettes. So we do stuff with the Raiderettes. So yeah, every game is different. I write for every game. How is it, David, going from 100 to 200 people to 60,000 and then back to 100, 200 people? You know, I, I it's it's surreal. Has it's, to be. There's a, there's a surreal feeling. Every time I walk out onto that stage, it never gets, it's never going to get old to me. And you feel like this little kid going to the game. And I'm a huge sports fan, football, baseball, basketball, whatever. And um, man, it, it, playing for 65,000 people and hearing them sing along with, with you and we're playing and it's great. And, it, and it, you know, I love the intimate settings too. So when we're playing the bars, you're like, we got an upcoming show at sunset, you know, there's two, 300 people in there. It's great because they feel like 65,000 people. I mean, they, the energy, so you can connect even a little more. So there's sometimes it's even, you know, it, it, it's great. Both. Can you explain the atmosphere, what it was like on the Monday night football game versus Baltimore when they opened up that stadium? Electric. It had to be like it was just everybody was on fire. And we won. It was <laughs> insane. It was insane. I mean, I've been to a lot of games. You know, I grew up in Youngstown, but I went to a lot of Cleveland games, you know, when it was the old municipal stadium by the lake, when it was 20 below zero, you know. But you go to, a, if I could just say this, you know, the Raiders to me have always kind of been a little bit of an underdog in the league. I don't know, but they've got the Super Bowls, you know, they've got the history, they've got the Raider nation. There's something really special. You know, I grew up as a Cleveland Browns fan with the dog pound, you know, when the dog pound was the dog pound, you know, but the Raider nation, the, the Raider fans in the, in the stadium, like if you go to a game, just the LED. Have you been to a game? Not a Raider game. I've been to a UNLV game, but not a Raiders game. So a Raider game, man, like the LEDs, the blacking out the stadium and going to me. I mean, there's, it's nonstop. I mean, we're constantly kicking it back between the DJ, the Raiderettes and us. It's, it's nonstop. Are you guys back in 2022? I think so. Uh, I, my contract was for a year for this season. Things are looking good. We've got one more game Sunday. Uh, things are looking really well, though. Well, I wish you luck. I hope you guys are back. Thank you. How many titles are in your overall song catalog? Originals or arra like arrangements? Originals. Originals, uh, I'd probably say about 60, 70 originals. Are they, are, do you release them anywhere or just play them with your own stuff? <laughs> Yeah, there's a few on the Pop Evolution CD, which I'm going to really re-re-release. <laughs> That's for the release. Um, there's a few on there. And then I will be coming out with five CDs this year. Because during the pandemic, during the shutdown, I went in the studio and recorded all the bands. 
Listeners, go to davidparicomusic.com. There'll be a link in the show notes where you can click on that, keep your eye out, and you can get your hands on the music that he's going to be releasing throughout 2022. Where do you find all your musicians and vocalists that have such vast experience? As a sideman, playing gigs, whether it's Natalie, you know, Donnie Marie, whatever, you meet musicians. And I met a lot of musicians over the year, over the last 15 years, you know, who's the, you know, the, the, a, the, a players, you know, the, the all-star kind of players, you know, and it's very much like a football team. It's very much like a baseball team. It's, it's a team and it's a collective and I'm not the star, you know, I'm not, it's not about me. You know, it's, we're all in this together and there's a, we've been pretty lucky, you know, everybody in the band basically plays with a headliner. Mm. You know, so the the string section, three of the girls play with Aerosmith. Uh, Chandra plays with uh, Shania Twain. Adriana plays with Rod Stewart. Um, Judy Kang, Judy and Crystal play with Celine Dion. You know, our bass player plays with David Foster, Andrea Bocelli, you know, Diana Ross. A drummer played with Santana and Mark Anthony. Yeah, so you kind of get these all-star players that don't have egos. Mm. You know, we just, you know, we're, we're, we're getting together and we're just, we're just having a ball. We're just having a blast and making music. It's, it's, it's really fun for me. It really is. Great horn bands such as earth, wind and fire, Chicago tower of power. What do they mean to you or have they influenced you? Absolutely. All those bands you just mentioned. I mean, earth, wind and fire, cutting edge tower of power, groundbreaking blood sweat and tears chicago i grew up on all those bands and played in kicks bands growing up playing that music you know all the all the chicago stuff all the earth wind and fire and we still i still play chicago earth wind and fire in my set list you know we do groove tonight in september um chicago we do 25 or 6 to 4 but those were huge influential bands and they still are and they mm-hmm. still are. i think Tower Power is in their 52nd year. Chicago's probably almost in their 60th year. Earth, Wind, and Fire since the 70s. And, and that's the thing. If I ever have a problem getting people to, on the dance floor, I know I can always play Earth, Wind, and Fire, and it's like slam dunk. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Do you practice with all your different acts and bands then? Uh, it depends. It depends. If we're playing the Smith Center concerts, yeah, because I'm writing specific concerts, we do rehearse. Okay. Uh, but these are, it's very, I, I approach the band very much like Hollywood movie studio. You know, we don't really rehearse that much. I may send you the music ahead of time, and it's, and it's your job just to learn it. And then when we play, it's like, that's it. It's go time. You put them on the yeah. spot, which I love. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's the way it is. I mean, even in, even in uh, the Hollywood sessions, the, 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 the movie sessions, they don't even see the music beforehand. They come in and play it. And I've been to those sets. I went to a family guy, played for a family guy show here in town, with Walter Murphy conducting, who was the composer for that show. And then I saw them. Dave Loeb took me there because he, the, the pianist from UNLV, he took me there. I saw, the, I saw them record the TV show. It was incredible. One take done. One take done. It was, it was, it was masterful. Was there ever a time in your life where you thought about doing something else? You know what? I could see myself in Calabria, Italy, 
with a tomato farm. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer that? outside of that, probably not. So it's music or we're going to Italy, going, to the, going to the old country. <laughs> I love the answer. I'm my tomatoes, for basil, right? <laughs> Where can listeners follow you or your groups? Oh, I'm on Instagram. Just David Perico. I do have a Facebook page, uh, a, a business page, you call it. It's just David Perico Music. Or my website, davidpericomusic.com. I just only have two little, you know, I don't do the Twitter and TikTok. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, just the Instagram and the, you can find me there or my I'm website. I'm the same thing. Website, Facebook, Instagram. So I'll link all those in the show notes for our listeners David, man, thanks for taking some time and rapping with me about your journey and your whole thing. I wish you nothing major success going forward. Oh, man, Tommy, it's been a pleasure. Great. I feel like I know you like 20 years already. Huh? <laughs> we got <laughs> to get together one day here soon. <laughs> or if you want to stop by and see the Raider House Band. That sounds like a deal with me. Listeners, please follow me on Instagram at Before the Lights Podcast and become part of our BTL crew in the members area. Go to beforethelightspod.com slash support. That's beforethelightspod.com slash support. Thank you for listening to Before the Lights. I'm Tommy Canale. And until next time, everybody, a salute, a chin chin. 